This message is brought to you on behalf of the CD ministry of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Our senior pastor, Matt Shea, is celebrating our missionaries by devoting this morning's message to them and encouraging us to be partakers in their ministry to others. Well, today, Pastor Matt hands the pulpit over to our youth pastor, Shane DeLisi, as he opens the book of Jude and looks at verses 1 through 4 in his sermon entitled, Contend for the Faith. Let's join Pastor Shane now in his message. Well, hey, let's get into it this morning because uh, I have 29 pages, and so we got to get going. Um, one of uh, the pastors I really respect, Phil Johnson, out of Grace Community Church, he says this, the most dangerous adversaries of biblical truth today are not... Government policies that undermine our values, not secular beliefs that attack our confessions of faith, not even even atheists who deny our God. He says this, It's my conviction that the worst, most persistent hindrances to the advance of the gospel today are worldly churches and hireling shepherds who trivialize Christianity. And uh, the, the title of our sermon today is Contend for the Faith. And God is calling us as His church as His people to contend for the faith that has been once for all handed down to the saints. Turn with me to 2 Timothy, or actually you'll be up here on the slides too, so 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7, and verse 13, says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sin and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And we're living in these last days of this great apostasy. I feel as if our nation is a, is a breeding, ground, breeding ground for false teachers. It's so easy here. You have the word of faith, health, wealth preachers, right? You have cults that can run rampant. People calling themselves Jesus. And you have those that come as wolves in sheep's clothing, seeking to destroy churches. And Jude speaks to these ungodly persons. Turn to Jude in your Bibles this morning. Jude, verses 1-4 through four is going to be our main text for this morning. That's what we're going to build upon. So turn there in your Bibles. Jude says this, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints." For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. You guys have an insert in your bulletin for notes this morning. In our first um, fill-in-the-blank, if you will, will the believers 
The believer's assurance. The God who keeps. As we look at Jude, the first thing we have to notice in verses 1 and 2 is, is the God who keeps. The assurance of our salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Jude's letter begins and ends with very comforting words for us as Christians. Super comforting. In verse 1, it describes us as those who are called, loved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. All three verbs are passives. They, they stress the, the action of God. God calls, God loves, and God keeps us. We are called, we are loved, and we are what? Kept. Isn't that amazing? Jude is very eager to begin by stressing the security of the believer in God's electing and preserving love. We are kept. Then at the end of the letter, look at verse 24. He bookends his letter and says to, says to, the, to the church, he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you without blemish before the presence of His glory with rejoicing to the only God be glory. Notice in verse 1, we are kept by God for Jesus Christ. And in verse, 21, verse 24, God is able to keep us from falling. Jude begins and ends the letter by assuring believers that God exerts His omnipotence. He's all-powerful, Right? To keep them from falling away from the faith. So as we pick up here this morning in Jude, the first thing we need to be sure of is our salvation. The believer's assurance. The God who keeps. And that is super encouraging. So what should you answer when someone questions you how you can be so sure you will keep the faith to the end and so be saved at the judgment? Maybe say something like this. God has called me out of unbelief. I am a new creation in Christ. My sin has been forgiven by His blood. Therefore, I know that He loves me with a particular electing love. Therefore, I know that He will keep me from falling. He will work in me that which is pleasing in His sight and present me with rejoicing before the throne of His glory. Aren't, isn't that it? We're kept. Hebrews 13.21 says this, He will equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He's going to equip us because we are found in Him, we are kept in Him, we are called by Him, we are loved by Him. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing to me. And uh, God's Word, His Scripture is very clear in that. The next point we want to make this morning, the believer's call. The believer's call. Fight for the faith. That's the way Jude begins and ends his letters by saying, hey, we are kept by God, He will keep us from falling. But in the middle, His concern is different. It is not to help believers feel content, but to help them feel vigilant. Having shown them the electing love of God and the unsurpassed power of God to keep them safe, Jude now shows them the danger that surrounds them. And we live in dangerous times. And he tells them to fight for the faith. Look at verse 3. Beloved, being very eager to write to you of our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith which is once for all delivered to the saints. So in other words, the assured victory of the believing church does not mean that we don't have to fight to win. Right? 
When God promises that His church will be kept from defeat, His purpose is not that we lay down our sword and go to lunch. Ah, oh, victory's already there. Our victory is through God, but that we pick up the sword of the Spirit and look confidently to God for strength to fight and win. To contend for the faith. So God's way, as we see it in Jude, is to give His people confidence that their faith will be victorious in the end. We saw that in verses 1 and 24. And then to send them out to fight for it. Your, your salvation is secure. You are kept in God. He will keep you from falling. Now what? Fight for the faith that has been once for all handed down to the saints. Contend for the faith. That's our call. Our call is to fight. And we'll talk about that, what that means a little bit this morning. We want to look at four aspects of the main point of Jude. And the main point of this, this little book of Jude is verse 3. It's, it's this main point. It is the duty of every genuine believer to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. I'm going to try to unfold this in as little time as possible, and the meaning of this verse in four main points. And you see that in your outline. The first one is, there is a faith once for all delivered to the saints. There is a faith once for all delivered to the saints. And sometimes the word faith is used for the feeling of trust in Christ. Other times, as here, it is used for the truths we believe about the One whom we trust our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we want to hit that sometimes it is necessary to stress that Christianity is primarily a relationship with Jesus rather than a set of ideas about Jesus. You guys need to be pouring into this relationship with Jesus Christ, this daily, living, active relationship where you are seeking truth, knowing God through His Word, spending time in prayer, resting in His love for you, abiding in Christ, this daily relationship. The reason we do this is because no one is saved by believing a set of ideas. Do you know that? The devil believes most of the truths of Christianity. We need to stress that unless a person has a living trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, all the orthodoxy in the world will not get him into heaven. It's like this. We're all in a plane. We see a mountain coming. The engines turn off. The plane is headed for this mountain. We're going to crash. Doom is coming. Everyone has a parachute in the airplane. Everyone knows what the parachute does. The difference is, whether you're going to trust that parachute to save you, you're actually going to what? Put it on. You're going to put it on. You're going to jump out the exit. You're going to float to safety. Yet there are people in this world who look at the parachute. They see Jesus. They know they're sinners. They see Jesus and they don't put Him on. They don't put their faith and trust in Him. You must put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then, what? You'll be saved. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be what? Saved. There's a big difference between knowing about Jesus and putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. There's a huge difference there. I want to make that stress that point this morning. But if our stress on the personal relationship with Jesus leads us to deny that there is a set of truths essential to Christianity, we make a grave mistake as well. There are truths about God and Christ and man and the church and the world that are essential to the life of Christianity. If they are 
lost or distorted, the results will not be merely wrong ideas, but misplaced trust. The inner life of faith is not dependent from the doctrinal statement of faith. When doctrine goes bad, so do what? Hearts go bad. There is a body of doctrine which must be preserved or teachings will be leading others astray from the truth and lead others to the shores of where? Hell. The lake of fire. So the main evidence for this is in verse 3 is that faith, this faith, is said to be delivered to the saints. This means that it was passed down from the apostles. It was not thought up by the church. This faith was revealed by God to His apostles and their close associates and then taught to the churches as the whole counsel of God. As Paul says in Acts 20, 27, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God and the standard of teaching in Romans 6, 17, But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. The standard of teaching, our faith in Christ. For us, one of the most important phrases in verse 3 is, once for all. Here we are 2,000 years after the faith was first delivered to the church and we are surrounded with hundreds of people and sects and cults who claim to have a new word of revelation, don't they? That now completes God's word to mankind. Muhammad has his Quran. Joseph Smith has his Book of Mormon. Sun, moon, his divine principle. And you meet people every day who consider every contemporary intellectual trend as a suitable replacement for the Bible. Here's the next new trend. Oh yeah, the Bible, that's good. But here's the next new trend. Here's what we have to look forward to. Not for us as Christians, biblical Christians. We live in a world that says, just believe in something and we, we, we will all get to heaven somehow. Just believe in something and we'll all get there. Is that true? False as it comes. Or trust your experience rather than biblical doctrine. That's a slippery slope right there. But please notice very carefully, Jude taught that that the faith has been once for all delivered to the saints. God's revelation concerning the doctrinal content of our faith is what? Finished. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And Ephesians 2.20 says this, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the what? Cornerstone. This is our faith. God's Word, the canon of Scripture. Anyone who comes along and claims to have a new word from God, which seems to be happening a lot these days, to add to the faith once for all delivered to the saints is against Scripture. Is going against Scripture. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be going against God's Word. The reason we have a Bible is that the church of the 3rd and 4th century recognized that God had spoken once for all in these writings. The canon was closed and every other claim to truth is now measured by the standard of faith once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all. Nothing added. One other thing before we leave this first point. When we, when we say there is a faith once for all delivered to the saints, we mean faith and not faiths. <laughs> One faith. Alrighty? Today it is fashionable to speak of many theologies in the New Testament. Scholars love to stress the diversity of viewpoints among the New Testament writers and the difficulty of bringing them all into a single coherent understanding of reality. They're like, hey, let's just, we see all these diversities, let's blend them together. 
Well, there is indeed some diversity from one inspired writer to another, but I would plead with you, and as I teach junior high and high school students, I'm encouraging them and challenging them to think long and hard about the implications of Jude 3. The faith, once for all, delivered to the saints. So whatever diversity there is in the way we view this faith, the emphasis here falls on unity. Unity of this faith that has been once for all handed down to the saints. And there is an apostolic faith, there is a body of doctrine that hangs together and is called the faith. We should not add to it or take from it. It has been once for all delivered to the saints. Point number two, look in your insert there. The faith is worth contending for. This faith is worth contending for. We are in Jude being commanded to contend for the faith, for what we believe to be true. Our faith. And what I infer from this is that there is a body of doctrine worth contending for. And there are secondary applications of those doctrines which we should not contend for. We'll have in-house conversations and talk about some things. Um, but the, these things that the faith, this doctrine that are worth contending for. But mark it down in your mind. There is truth worth contending for. Alrighty? There is truth worth dying for. And that, that is hard for our relativistic culture to understand. We live in a world that says, what's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. Let's just go on hugging each other. We are the world. We are the children. We'll make this world a better place. So let's start living, right? Unity, unity, coexist stickers all over the place. Let's just come together on a common bond. Let's sweep together, sweep under the rug some of these core truths of Christianity. Let's just get together on and be peaceful together on some of the humanitarian issues around the world. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But we have a truth that is even worth dying for. We might be able to imagine dying for people, but not many today consider any truths so precious they will contend for them or even die for them. Die for them. We have people all around the world in prison, voice of the martyrs, the, the persecuted church, dying for truth. It wasn't always this way. The faith that we cherish was preserved for us with the blood of hundreds of reformers. In, 19, in, in 1555 to 1558, Queen Mary, the, the Catholic ruler in England, had 288 Protestant reform, reformers burned at the stake. Why? Because they stood by a truth. The truth that the real presence of Jesus' body is not in the Eucharist of the Catholic Church and these false teachings, but in heaven at the Father's right hand. So what, they were willing to die for truth. For the truth, they endured the excruciating pain of being burned alive. So yeah, the blood of the martyrs is a powerful testimony that the faith once for all delivered to the saints is worth contending for, yet also worth dying for. But there is evidence of this right here in verse 3. Jude says that what he is really writing about is our common salvation, right? Since I am eager to write about our common salvation, it is necessary to... To urge you to what? Contend for the faith. When the faith is at stake, our salvation is at stake. If the truth is lost, our salvation is lost. The apostles and reformers were willing to die for the sake of the faith because they cared about whether the message of salvation would be preserved. They cared about people and about the glory of God. 
we need to gain a whole new sense of the precious of biblical doctrine, of biblical truth. Is it precious? Hold it dear? Is God's Word the foundation for your life and for your soul and how you live and how you think? We need to know as a church the depth and beauty and value of doctrine and truth. There's a faith worth contending for and I can't begin to overestimate the value of God's church family here at RBC. Having men like our elders and staff and teachers here who have worked their way into the unifying heart of this faith and we are committed to, to teach it and contend for this faith. It's encouraging to be at a church that's willing to contend for the faith that has been once for all handed down to the saints. And contend for biblical doctrine, preserving God's Word. And not only are these men willing to contend for the faith, at the same time they understand this deep daily relationship that God desires to have with each and every one of them. Do you understand as we are holding true to, the, to God's Word, contending for the faith, yet, Lord, this, this intimate relationship that You desire to have with me daily, that is built on what? Your truth. The faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ. It's built on that. Number three. This faith is repeatedly threatened from within the church. This faith is repeatedly threatened from within the church. This, this Bloody Mary, this Queen of Mary, the Catholic ruler in England that we talked about, was, was a professing Christian, not a barbarian. The worst enemies of Christian doctrine are professing Christians who do not hold to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And we see this in the warnings of Paul and in Jude this morning, but Paul as well, in his last message to the pastors of the church of Ephesus in Acts 20, Paul warned them that after his departure, what would happen? He says this, Be, be careful... Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw the disciples after them. Where is it? From among your own selves, from within. From within. The wolves who pervert the faith are professing Christians. They are pastors and church leaders, seminary teachers, and missions organizations. Isn't that crazy? Contending for the faith. In Jude, the reason the church needed to gird itself to contend for the faith is given in verse 4. Look at that with me. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So the threat to the faith is coming from among some who are now inside. They are probably saying something like this, if we are saved by grace, then it doesn't matter what we do morally. In fact, when a Christian sins, they might say it only serves to magnify the grace of God. So they turn the grace of God against the commandments of Christ and in effect deny the Lordship of Jesus. That He has purchased their life from the slave market of sin and now they are slaves to what? Righteousness. We live to please Him. To live for Him. 
You have men that say, let's join hands with other religions and come together for the purposes of peace today. You have men that deny that Jesus of the Bible is the Christ or that He is God in a bod. He's the incarnate Christ. Do you have pastors and church leaders and mission organizations saying that Christians and Muslims serve the same God? And I want to hit on that a little bit more this morning. Now, is that true that Muslims and Christians serve the same God Almighty? No way. I'm so glad you said that. No way. 1 John 5, 20-21, So that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Some Christians naively and mistakenly equate that because Christianity and Islam are monotheistic faiths, believe in one God, Christians and Muslims worship the same God. The synthesis of those two religions being labeled today as Chrislam. You'll see that today. Maybe some of you guys have read up on that, seen that. Chrislam. Mega church leader Rick Warren calls the reconciliation King's Way to advocates for the synthesis of Christians and Muslims. Any differences between the two religions are viewed as superficial. All those differences are superficial. We live in an ecumenical world where we see the blending of these false religions with Christianity. We see it with Catholics teaming up with Christians today, Muslims coming under the same umbrella. And after all, only the names of God differ, they say. Muslims call Him Allah, while Christians address Him as Lord. The singleness of God is thought of as an ecumenical rallying point. Let's all rally around this point that we do serve one God. A basis for mutual understanding, if not some kind of unity between the religions. That is wrong. And these are Christian leaders leading the way. And then in 2009, in a document titled, A Common Word Between Us and You, scores of Muslim leaders and scholars sought reconciliation with Christians for purpose of mutual understanding and peace between the great monotheistic faiths descended from Abraham, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And in response, numbers of Christian leaders in a full-page advertisement that appeared in the New York Times, they responded to the Islamic overture of this document titled, Loving God and Neighbor Together, a Christian response to a common word between us and you. Here's their response. And it's, well, I'll, I'll tell you who it was signed from by first. Evangelical and emergent leaders such as Leith Anderson, Bill Hybels of Willow Creek Community Church, Tony Jones, He's a, uh, a professor over at uh, Fuller Seminary. Uh, Brian McLaren, which is this uh, emergent guru, false teacher. Bob Schuler, formerly of the Crystal Cathedral. Rick Warren, Saddleback Church. George Verwer, Operation Mobilization. Jim Wallace and Sojourners. In a recent translation of the Bible into Arabic, also Wycliffe, I don't know where they stand now, Bible translators have substituted Allah for God in, in some translations as well. So we have this contextualization of sorts um, where people are willing to... So they will change the word of God in the Bible to Allah or the word Isa instead of Jesus. But the problem is that Muslims believe in a totally different God than biblical Christians and a totally different Jesus. Muslims would never confess Jesus as Lord. They would never do that and worship God. Here's what the Quran has to say. And in the Quran denies that Jesus is God more than nine times. Surah 4.171, O people of the book, that's what we're known as, people of the book, commit no excesses in your religion, nor say of Allah, by the truth, 
Christ Jesus, the Son of Mary, was no more than an apostle of Allah. Sarah 5.75, Christ, the Son of Mary, was no more than an apostle. 19.35, it is not befitting to the majesty of Allah that he should beget a son. Sarah 4.48, Allah forgiveth not that partners should be set up with him. Speaking of the Trinity, set up partners with Allah's to devise a sin most heinous indeed. And then you have men, as I mentioned before, as Schuler in his book, My Journey, standing before a crowd of devout Muslims with the Grand Mufti, or I think that's how you say it, I know that we're all doing God's work together. Standing on the edge of a new millennium, we're laboring hand in hand to repair the breach. We're not working hand in hand with Muslims. I love Muslims. I want them to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I don't want them to be under this uh, horrible God of this false religion of Islam. I want them to be under the God of grace and truth and mercy and to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The, the denial that Jesus is God and Lord is the spirit of the Antichrist. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is being compromised for the sake of a false world of peace. For the sake of peace, let's all join hands. Can we do that? No way. No way. Unfortunately, you see even more books coming out that say others, even from false religions, can come and be saved. Brendan Manning, he wrote a book called The Ragmuffin Gospel. In page 21 of this, he said, And He, Christ, will save you, vile beings, you who are in the image of the beast and bear His mark. But come all the same, you as well. He's saying that those... Those you vile beings, those who have taken the mark of the beast in those last days, Christ will be calling, yeah, you as well, come. Come one, come all. We know that not to be true. It is this ecumenical thread we are seeing today with Christians and Catholics and Islam and Chrislam. We see changing translations to make the Bible more palatable to Muslims. We cannot be confused on the Christ, who Christ is or who God is. We must be grounded in Scripture and we need to contend for the faith. There are, are a lot of Islamic sympathies in Christian churches today, which baffles my mind concerning the, the God of Islam is very contradictory to the God of the Bible. They are nowhere near on the same plane, but we must be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us, right? And I love Muslim people, like I said, but I hate the lies from this false religion of Islam. It's satanic teachings. All false religions fall under the same umbrella. Satan's deception and lies. Satanic teaching that totally goes up against God's truth and God's one faith handed down once for all to the saints. Once for all delivered. And one thing we need to stay away from are so-called evangelical or emergent leaders joining hands with the false religion of Islam. I, I'm ready to connect with Muslims, friends that you guys might have, that I might have, that I want to build relationships with and build a common bond relation in a relationship to share Christ with them, to share the truth of who God is, the one true God of the Bible, and to show them the love of Jesus Christ. That they can be saved, their sin, they can be saved from their sin. And one way we're going to do this is uh, Emil Meyer, one of, and Pastor Matt mentioned him this morning, one of our missionaries. He's going to be... Um, presenting uh, a new home fellowship and study.
called Bridges. And uh, what it's going to be doing is helping us to contend for the faith with Muslims, yet share and be witnesses to Muslims here in town. A mosque is going up in, is it Temecula or Marietta? A mosque is going up regardless. And uh, we're going to have people, if not, how many of you guys know, have friends or family that are Muslims? A few. Man, you guys need to know what they believe, yet how do we approach and come alongside our Muslim friends in, in sharing the truth of who Jesus Christ is? So on your welcome card this morning, um, if this is something that interests you, it'll probably be happening early May, home fellowship group, this study called Bridges. Write Bridges on your welcome card this morning, and that will let us know if you're interested on that. But you have all these teachers and... and ah, Brian McLaren, another emergent leader... Here he says in his book, Finding Our Way Again, he says, And during this lifetime, Abraham, like Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad, had an encounter with God. It's just a blending. You see the, the sly deception and lies that are happening? And Brian McLaren, he's, he's part of this emergent, emergent crew that is just deceiving and being deceived. A wolf's in sheep's clothing. The Quran teaches that Jesus is not God. And in 1 John 2.22 says, This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Very clear. Rick Warren at the inaugural prayer for Barack Obama praying in the name of Isa at one point, and Isa is not the Jesus of the Bible, but the Jesus of the Quran. He is praying to another Jesus, he says, then you have him addressing the ISNA, Islamic Society of North America. He doesn't give them the gospel. What does he do? He encourages them just to be successful. And the ISNA is, is designated by the justice group to be a terrorist organization. And if Rick Warren were going there to preach the gospel, to share the, the good news, the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, I would say, great. <laughs> right? I'd be like, go for it, Rick. But he didn't do that. That is not what he wanted to do. And again, with that article, with a common word between us and you, both of these documents agree we can only be unified if we agree that we worship the same God. And you had all these men signing off on it. So-called megachurch, purpose-driven philosophies, emergent leaders... Both documents say that the God of Islam is the God of Christianity and calls Muhammad a prophet. And in the preamble of this document, it says, before we shake our hands or responding to your letter, this is the Muslim world talking, we ask forgiveness of all the, of the all-merciful one and of the Muslim community around the world. Forgiveness. And that's the way it's been ever since the first century. Paul said it would, it would happen. Jude saw it happening. And he saw it as a fulfillment of the apostles' predictions. Verse 17 and 19. Look on with me. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who set up divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. God wants us to share the faith with Muslims and learn how to do this. The people that we cannot tolerate, or that I don't tolerate, are so-called church leaders muddying the waters between biblical doctrine and the false satanic teachings of Islam. Muslims are blinded 
And we need to have a heart of compassion and love for them and give them the truth of God's Word. Right? And they need to hear about the amazing grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll be going to the Bridges uh, meetings. I want to learn more and more how to, how to reach my Muslim neighbors, how to engage um, and, and share the faith and contend for the faith as well. As many tears as it may have cost Paul, Philippians 3, 18, virtually all his letters have to do with contentions that, we have, uh, that he was having with professing Christians. Uh, almost in, I would almost say in every one of Paul's letters, contentions that he was having with professing Christians. It's crazy. So it should not surprise us if today much of our contending for the faith will be with professing Christians who teach and write things such as, at least from our perspective, are contrary to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So the plain New Testament teaching is that the faith will be repeatedly threatened from within, which finally leads to the, to the admonition number four, real quick as we end here this morning. Every genuine believer should contend for the faith. This letter of Jude is not written to a pastor, but to those who are called, beloved in God, and God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ in verse 1. So we're all in that boat, right? The duty to contend for the faith is therefore not just the duty of the ordained minister of the Word, though they do have a special responsibility. It is the duty of every genuine believer. Verse 20 through 21 of Jude tells some of the things we should do to prepare ourselves to contend for the faith. And verses 22 to 23 tell some of the ways to contend for the faith. Look at verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, build yourselves, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Wait patiently. Wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal salvation. So what's the best thing we can be doing? Become a church that is effective in contending for the faith is to become a church well built on the faith. And I praise God where Rancho Baptist Church is at. We are well built on the faith. Right? Man, don't you love that? We need, we need not to stray from that. And he says, build yourselves up on the most holy faith. Study. Meditate on God's Word. Build. Grow. There is so much wonderful truth about God to learn and I am still learning and will continue to learn and grow. And as I meditate on Scripture, as I grow in my relationship with Christ, continue to grow and learn and build up this awesome, wonderful faith we have in Christ. And the best defense of the faith is to know it and to love it and embrace it. Prayer is an indispensable part of contending for the faith. So how's your prayer life? Because he says here, pray in the Holy Spirit. Unless we seek the mind of the Holy Spirit in prayer, we will not grow in our grasp of the faith and we will be weak contenders. Weak contenders. And then when it comes to the actual contending, Jude says in verses 22 to 23, and convince some who doubt. Save some by snatching them out of the fire. On some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. At least two things are evident here. One is that contending sometimes involves an intellectual effort to change the way a person thinks. We're going to contend in that way. Convince some who doubt. The other is that contending sometimes involves moral reclamation. Go after them in where their perverse ideas have taken them and snatch them back to safety even while you hate what they are doing. 
So in reality, these things always go together. An effort to change the mind and an effort to change the morals. Contending for the faith is never merely an academic exercise, though. It is never merely mental because the source of all false doctrine is the pride of man's heart, not the weakness of his mind. It's the pride of man's heart. And we know that God changes hearts. We don't. We profess the gospel very clearly. We engage. We contend for the faith that has been once for all handed down to the saints and God changes hearts. God changes hearts. This is why Jude tells us to grow and pray and stay in the love of God and depend on His mercy before he says anything about how we should contend for the faith. He says, How's that faith? what does that faith look like for us as Christians? The best argument for the faith is when the saints live it and proclaim it. That's why Peter says, 1 Peter 3.15, he says, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. The way you contend is as important as the content of your arguments. You can, you can win with your logic and lose with your life, and we must remember that God is sovereign and we must seek His will in all these things. So be looking for this home fellowship group, bridges. Maybe some of you guys have, are longing how to, how to witness to Muslims, how to engage with Muslims, how to contend for the faith that has been once for all handed down to the saints. So a summary this morning. Look at those four points. There is a faith once for all delivered to the saints. This faith is worth contending for. The faith is repeatedly threatened from within the church by professing Christians. And it is the duty of every believer to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Let's pray. Father, may You be glorified through Your church here at Rancho Baptist Church. Lord, May You be glorified, Lord, as we stand firm on the truth of Your Word. May, we, may our roots just grow deeper and deeper in Your truth, Lord, in this faith that has been handed down once for all to the saints, Lord. May we grow, meditate, study Scripture, be students of the Word, be diving deeper in this, in this relationship that You have set up with us. You have saved us. Father, You loved us first. Thank You that our faith is secure. We have the assurance of our salvation. We are kept. We are loved. We are called. Lord, and now You're calling us to contend. I pray that we do that with love, with mercy, with grace, yet never wavering on the truth of Scripture, Lord, because we know that Your Word will offend. Naturally, Lord, Your Word is offensive. But Father, we pray that as we talked on even Muslims in our world today, Lord, that you give us a heart for Muslims, Lord, and we would love them, Father, that love them so much that we would share the truth with them and that they would come to faith. Father, we pray that you take the blinders off their eyes. Lord, in this false doctrine, these doctrines of demons that they have believed in, Lord, and that you would lead them to truth, your truth. Father, I pray that we would be a church that is continually standing on truth on biblical doctrine. Lord, that you would just uh, help us to make just us uh, 
just a, a church that just loves you so much. Thank you for this time this morning. May we worship you in spirit and in truth as we continue to do that through song right now. May you get all the glory and honor and praise. It's in the precious name of Jesus Christ, your son, we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.